You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Why don't you open up your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be today uh, in our series, The Miracles of Jesus. And so Mark 5, 21 through 24 and 35 through 43, it's kind of one story with a story in the middle. But we're going to read it and pray over it and ask God to speak to us through his word But before we get into this text, for those of you that have not been with us, since January, we've been in this series, The Miracles of Jesus. And what we're doing, what we're attempting to do is to spend January through the end of May up till summer looking at a different miracle that's performed by Jesus recorded in the gospel accounts. Right, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are are the Gospels. And there are eyewitness accounts of how Jesus interacted with humanity. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John really narrate the public ministry of Jesus. The three and a half years leading up to his death on the cross that we're going to celebrate on Good Friday. But the Gospels are are four books. They're eyewitness accounts. the public ministry of Jesus. And everything that Jesus does, whether it's healing sickness or turning water to wine or raising people from the dead or feeding thousands of people miraculously, everything is purposeful. Everything has a reason why. And it's not just to show off or it's not just because, you know, Jesus can do a bunch of magician tricks and ooh and ah the crowd just for fun. But what it's doing, what, what the person of Jesus is doing, in most of it, it's in northern Israel around the Sea of Galilee, which we'll see in our stories today, is when he's loving these people and healing these people and tending to their needs, he's showing the heart of his Father. So if you're wondering, who is God? What's he all about? What's his character? What's his intentions for me? Because we all have perceptions of God. We all, depending on our upbringing, depending on movies, culture, or your experience from Christianity and God's word, we all have perceptions of who God is and how he's going to treat me. How do I win favor from him? How do I get favor? Does he like me? Does he not? We have all these ideas. But the purpose of this series is to really give us a right perception of the heart of God. Right? God's word says that in the person of Jesus, is the exact representation of the Father. So when you see Jesus interacting, that's the Father. There's no questions. You don't have to question if God loves us and uh, cares for our needs, because he absolutely does. And so today, I mean, we've done this for months now, and today, once again, we see this incredibly miraculous encounter where Jesus brings Jairus' daughter back to life. So let's go ahead and read it. Mark 5, 21 through, well, 24 and 35 through 43, uh, and then we'll pray. It says this. Jesus got into the boat again on the Sea of Galilee, and he went back to the other side of the lake. The Sea of Galilee is like a big lake. 
where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. That's the end of 24. Uh, He gets distracted, but it's a good distraction. He heals another woman. And then we pick up in verse 35. It says, while he was still speaking to her, this woman that he healed, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus the leader of the synagogue who he just talked to, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now, speaking of Jesus. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made all them leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where this girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, I don't know how to say that, guys. I'm so sorry. Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict, strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we have your word today in front of us and that you've preserved it for us so that we can see the heart and the power of God displayed in this incredible historical account of where you raised this middle school-aged girl from the dead. How not only was there a a sense of commotion and wailing, like utter despair, you turned actually into amazement and rejoicing. You brought dead things to life. And Lord, we sit here today very far removed from this culture and this story, two millennia from it. But God, we know that your word is for us here and now. And so God, I pray that you would anoint me to communicate your heart to us as a people, and that we would walk away, just as you said, like, don't be afraid. Believe. Have faith that I can do these things. We want to heed that today in areas of our own life. Uh, We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, once again, right, we see this story where Jesus is, you know, it's kind of like a, a very... Ordinary details. He gets on a boat. He goes on the Galilee. He gets to Capernaum, which you can go today. And this is little town. I mean, I'm talking like a few blocks worth of buildings. You can go there and see the ruins. And there's this guy, Jairus. He's the leader of the synagogue in Capernaum on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. And his daughter becomes sick. 
And Jesus immediately, right, when he hears this, this father's pleading for Jesus to come, he says, yeah, absolutely, I'll come and see your daughter. But there's crowds of people, right, that want to be healed. And Jesus does heal this woman that's been sick and bleeding for 12 years. And so that's also a miracle. But you see what happens is that they come and tell this father, hey, don't even trouble Jesus. Like, it's, you, you guys took too long. So you can understand then why utter grief has fallen. Like, they missed the opportunity. In their minds, there's no, they missed out. And Jesus obviously says, don't worry. Let me come with you. And even the scene at the house in that little city. I'm talking like, if something happens in this little town you can go to today in Capernaum, like, everyone would know. It's a much smaller version of this island. Everyone knows. And so there, there is. It's like this, this, this girl that everyone knows, and everyone's just broken over it. And they're weeping, and there's wailing and commotion. And Jesus goes in and clears the house. And, you know, it's a very intimate story of him bringing the father and the mother, and then ultimately this girl gets healed. And it's just this incredible testimony of who God is and his character and everything from his, his care to his attention to his, his peace and calmness to his power. It's this incredible story. But if we're going to just look at a couple things today, because there's a lot of ways we could go. The, the main things we can get from this, there's really, I think, two or three, but I'm going to give you two points. Number one is Jesus doesn't worry about what we worry about. Jesus doesn't worry about what we worry about. Um, he actually doesn't worry about anything. But for you and I, for the crowds in this story, I mean, there was a lot going on. There are temporal circumstances. I mean, all of us, even looking at the story, would be like, yeah, I would act the same way and more. I'd be a wreck. I'd be worrisome. I'd be fearful. I'd be sad. Like, right? All those emotions would be true of us. And even in this story today, we see that they're worried about the timing and if Jesus comes or not, or, hey, don't even bother Jesus anymore because the story's over. Like, in their mind, the story's over. This is the end of the story. And for you and I, we're really good. I mean, we know this. There's studies done. You hear about it all the time how worried and anxious and stressed out we are as a people. I mean, you name it. All of us are just, like, worried about something. There's not one of us that doesn't have a list of worries, right? Relationships, job, money, purpose, kids, spouses, relationships. I mean, you name it, there's plenty that we get wrapped up in. And all of a sudden, what happens is, is that worry about that thing or that person or if it didn't happen or not, what does it do? It consumes us. That, that's our most prominent reality. It affects our sleep. It affects our attitude. Right? We wake up worry. We wake up anxious. And again, it's all about temporal stuff. It's all about the here and now, whether it's working or not. Whether we did the right thing. Why that happened to me. We constantly, some of us more than others, right, depending on where we're at. But I want us to sit in a moment and just think about, that's our reality, but what is God's? 
towards us or towards our issues. He's not worried about anything. Why? It's because he's outside of time and space. He knows that this is just temporal and most of the stuff we're worried about, he's like, well, all the stuff that we're worried about, he knows what's going to happen. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's sovereign. He's in control. And in our worry, you know what he says? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And for those of you with young kids, you know this as parents, right? Our kids, when they're young, have such a small idea of the world. They, have, they don't, you know, it's temporal. It's like, one, it's like candy or that thing, or can I stay up late, or can I hang out with my friends? Like it's very, their world is small, it's finite, it's limited, and so for them, stuff's a really big deal. But even as parents, we can go, ooh, that's not best for you, that's not going to be good for you, and you, you, have to, you have to shepherd and care and say yes and no. I mean, parenting's quite the thing, because you have these little humans that are very strong-willed, a lot of our kids, and we just had a big swim day yesterday with like 15 of them, so it was powerful. It was wild, but it was awesome. But as parents, you know, we guide and direct and care, and so much of our kids, what they worry about, you don't need to worry about it, right? Because we are older, and we just know like you don't have to worry about that. It's okay, so we're comforting or caring or correcting or teaching, right? Well, like a million X that, and that is God to us. We're fretting and worrying, and we're running around, and we're worried about everything, and we're stressed and anxious, and God's like, it's okay. Like, it's going to be okay. And we all the time, what, if, if, if God was next to us and we said that, we'd be like, no, you don't understand my life. No, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand what that person said. And God's like, I do. And it's going to be okay. And so again, I, I know that I'm kind of extrapolating the text a little bit because we're talking about this scene where this middle school age girl died. And, but what, what's Jesus' response to the wailing, to the commotion, to the worry? He said, don't be afraid. Like, it's going to be okay. And if I was in the crowd... I'd probably be like, Jesus, this is not okay. Like, what about this is okay? Nothing's okay. Like, right? We have a finite perception of what's going to happen. And Jesus, what does he do? He blows the, the lid off that. Because he's like, you don't understand the whole picture. And so one thing I think we can get from today is, and I know we all try for it daily, but I think we do need to be really aware, mindful, how much we're worrying, how stressed out are we, how anxious are we, and why? And what are we doing with that? You know, I mean, obviously there's a lot of things we can do to, to, to help that, but also I think on a large framework as a Christian, we need to really step into God's perspective of the big picture. Okay, so God, what are you doing and what are you wanting? Because if we know anything from Scripture, we would know that his ways are better than our ways. He knows what's best. He, he, he can fix anything that's happening. He can miraculously provide. He could take that thing away. But so often we get so overcome that we don't even take these requests to him. I mean, I think that 
we can all agree that, you know, something happens and we're overwhelmed with the what ifs that a lot of times we even fail to stop and go, like, stop for a second and go, hey, God, I'm really stressed right now. I'm really anxious. I'm really worried. I'm really, I'm really worried about what's going to happen or not going to happen. I know for me, it's easy to just go down rabbit holes. And then later, I'll come to the Lord. But what if for a moment we stopped, just as Jesus stopped the crowd, said, stop, don't be afraid. Trust me, have faith. Right, so that's this one challenge, the challenge I have for us, is Jesus doesn't worry about what we worry about because he's not worried about that thing because he's bigger than that thing and it's going to be okay. Whether or not it works out the way we want it or not, God's like, it's going to be okay still because I'm in control still. Okay, so number two is that Jesus wants to raise dead things back to life. Again, this is the story of the gospel. We're all dead in our sins. But what did Jesus do? He died on the cross so that he, we could have new life, an abundant life, an eternal life. Like, he raises all of us from the dead. That's what he does. That's what he did. That's what he does practically with this little girl in this little town on the Sea of Galilee. But also, we see throughout Scripture, like, this is a part of the character of God. He restores the years the locust has has eaten. He makes beauty from ashes. He turns mourning into dancing. Like, this is what God does. God is a God of transformation and renewal and restoration. Like, you cannot escape that. God doesn't just save us. He redeems us and restores us and renews us and makes us even better than we were. And I think for a lot of us, and I'm going to take a stab at this, I think in some ways we believe that and in other ways we don't. I think we, str- I think we can struggle. Because this is what I mean. There may be things in your life that you once felt like God was going to do, or even like you wanted to be done, or you felt like, ah, oh man, that person in my family that doesn't know Jesus, you've almost given up that they'll ever know Jesus. I think all of us in one way or another have prayed for something for a long time, and it like doesn't happen. And so for us, like we just, we just give it over and be like, I'm over that. It's dead. It's never going to happen. And I think what Jesus is saying in the story is, hold on. That's you. That's not me. I'm in the business of raising things that you think were dead back to life. And this can happen a lot when you're younger and maybe like middle school, high school, college, right? When you're excited about life and the world and the future. I'm not saying when you get older, you're not, but it just changes. But especially when it comes to what you want in life and what God wants and, you know, you're all zealous and passionate and all of a sudden, like, life is hard. It's unfair. Things don't happen the way you want. And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, we get into this thing where, well, I don't know. Like, you just get apathetic. You get complacent. You're like, I don't know if Jesus is going to do anything anymore. Right? Because in our mind, all our hopes and dreams and aspirations and we think are dead. And so I want us to maybe, like, think about those things in our lives today that we feel like are dead and gone and we've given up on. For each of us, it's very different. And I want 
us to hear and look and see from Jesus to, to go, hello, I'm here. It's not dead yet. Those things aren't dead yet. I want to remind you that I'm able to bring those things back to life. So I, I know for some of us, depending on what we're thinking of that may feel like it's dead in our own life, too far gone. For me, it was like I wanted my mom and dad to be saved. I got saved before them. My mom was a little quicker. My dad took years and years and years to finally even be open to hearing about Jesus. That was my story, personally, me. But then Jesus, like, did it. And I know for each of us, we have someone in our life that we have absolutely, no, no, no judgment, no shame, but we've given up praying for them. Like, we've given up even, like, I'm not going to invite him to Easter. Dude, I've invited him like 17 times. You're like, well, maybe this is the year. Maybe that's the encouragement that Jesus has for us today. Nothing is dead until I say it's dead kind of thing, right? Jesus is like, dude, I'm, I'm above that. I'm bigger than that. Don't be afraid. Have faith. Jesus wants to and is able to raise dead things to life. That is like, that's the truth of the gospel. If you don't believe that, we don't have Christianity. It's all based upon that. But he does that more than just a physical life. He does that to like other things in our life and other people in our life. He's able to breathe life into dead spaces. So my application questions, if you're taking notes, are this. Do we believe he can? Like, do we believe that he can breathe life into dead places in our life? Or are you still sitting there, which I know that I'm, I can be a hesitant, pessimistic realist also, and I like to, uh, sometimes I say with the Lord, like, Lord, I believe you can do a lot of stuff. I don't know about that, though. And we all categorize things. Some of us have a little bit more faith here and not as much faith here. If you talk to each other, you'll know this. Oh, yeah, God can do that. But really, we're thinking is, he can, but I actually don't even, I don't know if he wants to do that. So I want us to be challenged, because Jesus challenges the crowd today to have faith when in their mind, there's no, no realistic, practical reason they should. Again, put yourself in Capernaum. Weeping and wailing, a middle school-aged daughter, daughter of this guy just died. Everyone thinks it's over. And Jesus says, hey, guys, she's just sleeping. It's like, dude, how irreverent are you, Jesus? Like, dude, this girl's, like, passed away. Like, but he's like, no, have faith. I can do it. And, and we heard the story. But here's the little twist that is super important. I don't mean to throw you for a loop. So hear me for a second. So, do we trust that Jesus can, like, fully raise people from the dead, but also do we trust that he knows best if he doesn't? So, right, do we trust that God knows best, that even though he can bring things back to life, we all know that sometimes in God's sovereignty in this time and age, he doesn't. I want to give you a practical example. You could have heard me right now that every time someone's sick, we pray, and Jesus will heal them fully right away, right here and now. 
If I didn't say this, you could take, take that away from the sermon. That anytime someone has a sickness or a disease or someone's even dead at Queens right now, we can go pray and then every single time God will heal them right away and raise them from the dead. We, be, we should believe that God is big enough to do what I just said, but we all know that here and now, this side of heaven, that doesn't always happen. So here's where it doesn't matter if you're a Christian for a day or for 50 years or if you're a pastor or not or whatever you want to call it. This is where we really can struggle with understanding God's sovereignty. Because there's a huge tension that I think we need to hold, but it's really hard to hold. So we as Christians are supposed to have so much faith that we believe that Jesus can raise people from the dead. We're supposed to. But also, do we have the faith and trust in Jesus that we pray and we ask God to do something and he doesn't do it? And it doesn't happen. If, because if, you, if you're not, if you're, uh, not careful, you'll, either, you'll, you'll, you'll get pretty disappointed and hurt and jaded and like all of a sudden you'll like not pray big prayers because you don't want to be disappointed or you're so disappointed that you won't, you know, you, like, if you don't hold the tension of God can do it, but also if he doesn't, I trust that he knows best. I'm going to tell you right now, that's just really easy for me to say that. This is, like, impossibly hard to live out. Especially, all of us know, like, let's just bring it real home. All of us know a story like this of someone that's sick that shouldn't be sick or someone like is young and is sick and we pray and sometimes God heals and sometimes God doesn't. And when you're walking with someone and it's like it's personal, this gets challenged. And for some people it gets so challenged that they walk away from the faith. This is this, this is a real this is a real thing. So the story we see today is Jesus healing and raising someone from the dead. But Jesus doesn't always do that. That doesn't always happen. So what I want to do is I, I want to, uh, the takeaway or the challenge or the prayer, and this is a, apart from the Holy Spirit, you can't do this. Like there's no way that, that you can be the strongest, best, most mature Christian. I guarantee you, you will be challenged by this. And apart from the Holy Spirit, we like can't navigate it because it's gray. But I, I want us to pray in today. I'll, I'm going to pray for us. In worship, we're going to pray for us. But as Christians, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, I think a good place, a goal to get to would be to get to the place where we believe God can raise dead things to life, but we're okay with him if he doesn't. Because it's not one or the, well, it's, not, it's not either. Like, we have to live in the tension. I want to pray in that balance for us. I want to submit that request to God this morning. Because as Christians, as, as, actually as people, we don't like living in balance or in the gray. We're really good at like swinging to, swinging to spectrums. We're all or none, black or white. God heals everything. Nope, God heals no one. 
Where does that leave us, though? It's gonna, you're going to be in trouble either way. And so, as someone that's walked with Jesus for 25 years now, and because I'm a pastor, I've seen a lot of people walk with Jesus, I, I've seen both sides of the spectrum. Name it, claim it, God's going to do everything all the time, just how I pray. Ooh, danger. But then God has let me down so much that he doesn't do anything and he's not even real. It's like danger. But But the middle place is, well, God, you're sovereign. You're outside of time and space. I believe that you are able to do anything, but in your sovereignty, because of this fallen world, because we're not in heaven yet, sometimes it doesn't happen. But God, you know best, so I trust in you, and I surrender my hopes and dreams and expectations. I'm still going to pray big prayers, but I'm okay if they don't come to pass in the way that I want them to. Sounds great, but I'm going to pray for us right now that we walk that out, because that is a hard thing to do. It's daily, it's weekly, it's going to get confronted when there's tragedy in our life. But let's pray in faith. Jesus said it, have faith, trust me, I know what's best. And so as a people of God, let's pray that in right now. As the worship team comes up, we'll pray in that type of balance and that type of faith to trust and believe God um, that he knows what's best. God, we thank you so much that, um, at least for me, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not in control of my own life and destiny in this world. I am so thankful that you're in control. Even though this world is broken and there's tragedy and there's hurt, I pray that we would have a heavenly perspective. I pray that you would help us to navigate hardship and tragedy and loss, especially when we feel like you didn't answer us or, well, God, if you could, why didn't you? God, I pray that you would help sort through our doubts, our questions this morning. Holy Spirit, you can only do that. We, we submit to your leading and guiding and your speaking to us. And God, we do want to be a people that grow in faith, that we have more faith in you despite what we see around us. Help our unbelief. Your disciples ask that, Lord. Help our unbelief. We want that this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Church, a couple things right now as we enter into our second set of musical worship. This, This space, this 15, 20, 25 minutes right now that we have, is created not just to be a bookend to the service. It's not just like, oh, well, we should have some worship after. It's a time of of response that we have, that we can respond to God how he spoke to us. And if you're anything like me, I, I hear this, I taught this, like I've been studying this, and I want more faith, and I possibly want to surrender my unbelief to God. And so I want to encourage all of us to do that. Um, we have, you know, carpets up here that you can come and kneel down in a posture of surrender and just pray and surrender things to God. Um, we've got communion to the right or to the left, and communion is a way that we can remember Christ's body that was broken and his blood that was spilt for us. 
It gets our, our mindset right that, that Jesus died, but he rose again and he can restore broken things. It, it just symbolically helps us get our hearts and minds right. Also, I want to encourage you to not only pray with someone next to you, we have a prayer team in the back that would love to just pray for you. No strings attached, big or small, whatever it is. Like, let's pray for each other. Let's take our requests to God and ask him to write our hearts. So let's make the most of this time. Let's press in and uh, let's meet and commune and respond to God now. Amen.